This morning we're in Isaiah 43 through 8. Isaiah 43 through 8. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see, shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry, and I say, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for another day we have to come together and worship you this morning. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to gather and to worship you as, our, as your people. Uh, we pray indeed that your word would stand forever and that we would forever look to it as our guiding light, uh, a more sure word from even your son, Jesus Christ, being among his people, your full revelation to us, completely sufficient and always. I pray that it would carry us through the week and that we would meditate on it over and over again, both its instruction and what it reveals to us about your son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation, trusting in him. Amen. We hear the prophecy talking about coming of John the Baptist and then Jesus will be back in Mark today. But you hear the prophecy from Isaiah 40 there read. Mark chapter 6 will be our text for today. I'm going to introduce a little different, well I'm just going to talk actually for a little bit. This is my last chance really of uh, preaching with Pastor Adam, Adrian, their family here before us. He gets the pulpit next week to give his word. So I do think it's appropriate to take a moment here and to um, just state our thankfulness, our gratefulness to their family, um, what they mean to me, what they mean to Redeemer, to uh, the leadership, to the church here, Redeemer. <clears throat> the last Sunday here with Adri on the worship team, Owen as well has picked up the guitars, done a great job. The earliest days of the church, 2008, it's hard to think back. As we moved here, it was uh, Adam, Adrian, Owen was just a little guy, and myself, that was Redeemer. And the worship team was Adri and I. I was telling this story the other day, it's maybe my favorite Redeemer story. We're, <clears throat> we're trying to seem as professional as we can be. We met in a dining room for a year. We moved to a, a community center where we got to meet for free for a while and that was full of adventure there. Uh, so we, <clears throat> we have a simple setup. We had one speaker, the keyboard plugged into it, a microphone plugged into it, and an iPod plugged into it. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna start praying. We did our song, I told Adrian, I'm gonna pray. As I start praying, you start the iPod on the worship playlist. You know, that sounds like it'd be good, nice background music for me praying. So I start praying, Adri starts the, list not worship list but workout list so as i'm praying really getting into it all of a sudden you hear back in black by acdc start pumping through the speaker and if you know that song i mean it's got a very distinct beginning to it where she was sitting apparently she couldn't hear it or she forgot to turn it off or something so i'm praying to acdc finally i just 
ended it and we moved on and that was the last mistake we've made here at Redeemer. So we're, we're thankful for that. But uh, no, but Adri, uh, she's been a blessing to me, a blessing on the worship team. I've relied on her heavily. She has, since day one, organized and oversaw the uh, little children's ministry, the scheduling of that, the care of that. Um, and their kids, they get to experience church planting, kind of the guinea pigs for everything that happens at the church. First one's in the nursery, first one's all the way across the board. A lot of blessings and fun that comes with that, a lot of things you sacrifice for that as well. Um, and really it's their personality, their service that has meant a ton to us. See them as little kids growing up now, watching our little kids during worship practice and things. Um, and so we indeed are grateful. We are thankful um, to your family. I'll get to Adam later, but want to express that. Uh, we'll miss you greatly, uh, but also look forward to hearing what the Lord will do through your family in Michigan. As we've been in Mark, we've seen for some time now Mark, as he, he tells his stories in a certain way, he arranges them in a certain way, he gives you details and leaves out details because he's trying to communicate more than just events. Each of the Gospels is such that they, they craft their little narrative, their story in such a way, and Mark is doing it because he's answering the question, who is Jesus? Why has he come? And what does it mean to follow him? And so we've seen that established as Jesus has come declaring the kingdom. We've seen him demonstrating it in power and authority. We've seen the responses of people to him. And so the last week we came to the sending of the 12 apostles. Discipleship is this, as he says, you come, you sit at my feet, and then you are sent out. You come and then you go. And we see that with the apostles. And they are sent out, not with their own message, but with the message of Christ. And so the apostles kind of serve as that template for discipleship. They go out in Christ's power. And they go out proclaiming Christ's message. And the message or proclamation is paired with acts of mercy and with humility and with integrity and with deeds of kindness. And as it goes forward, they will experience just what Christ experienced, that the gospel is incredibly attractive and it is incredibly offensive. And you... There is no neutrality, and the disciples face that. The apostles will face that. We will face that as we go forward with the message of Christ. It is an attractive message, and it is an offensive message. It is the only hope. It is beautiful, and yet in that message, you are telling people, you have a need you cannot meet, and there is an exclusive claim from Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life as the only one who can meet that need. And so the disciples, the apostles, we see often their ministry is rejected but in the end we see that we just need to be faithful in proclamation faithful indeed it is God who brings about the fruit who brings from that mustard seed and blossoms into something beautiful and big it is the Lord who judges those who do not believe and we start to see that pattern and what Mark often does, he's done it three times now, this will be the fourth time, is he starts a story, he interrupts it with another story, and then he'll conclude. So really, he started sending out the 12 apostles. In verse 30, he, we see that they wrap it up, that they've been out, they come back and report what they've been doing to Jesus. But in the middle there, we learn more about discipleship with the death, story of the death of John the Baptist and John in Mark 6, 14 through 29. That'll be our text 
It sets, again, the pattern of what we will see true discipleship is later in Mark, and that is laying down your life, taking up your cross, and following after Christ. John sets that pattern for us. He also foreshadows the ministry and the work of Jesus, which will be his death. But you'll see as we go through it, we're going to take a moment and look at John the Baptist, but really the story is about Herod. And from it, we learn more about the nature of belief and unbelief. Something has been driven home to us again and again, coming and sitting at the feet of Christ, or just kind of curiosity looking, rejecting the nature of unbelief and belief. So where are we in the story? We'll look at it quickly and then four points. Herod is a name that shows up a lot of times in the New Testament. You have Herod the Great. He is the figure who is uh, in the, the narrative of Jesus' birth. Herod the Great sends out that treacher, treacherous edict to have all the little boys put to death. Herod the Great is the father of this Herod. Herod Antipas is the Herod that we see at the death of Jesus Christ. He shows up in the narrative there. And that is the same Herod that we read about today. So that when Herod the Great, when he died off the scene, he had four sons. None of them were very competent. Definitely not compared to their father. So this, the kingdom is, is, well, they're not really a kingdom. They're vassal kings for the Roman Empire. It's broken up between these four tetrarchs. And Galilee, that area goes to Herod Antipas, who is uh, the figure we are looking at today. John the Baptist, we know something about, right? John the Baptist was foretold and prophesied from Isaiah, from many of the minor prophets. He was a huge deal when he came onto the scene because he renewed the office of prophet. After 400 and some years of silence, John the Baptist renews that office, proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. John the Baptist, from a miraculous birth, we see that, not a virgin birth, but miraculous to older parents unable to have children. We see John the Baptist believing from, even from the womb, a unique belief in Christ as he leapt in the womb in the presence of Mary and baby Jesus, who was also in the womb. Mark begins his gospel with John the Baptist. If you remember, Mark jumps right into it. John the Baptist took a Nazarite vow. He wouldn't have cut his hair. He would have refrained from many things, lived a life of humility in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, alone with God, he grows in moral boldness and courage. He grows in conscience that as he shows up, he comes with a ministry and a message of repentance, pointing people to Christ, the Messiah, who is coming. So when Mark introduces us to John the Baptist at the very beginning of chapter 1, he's, he is declaring that prophecy that we saw, heard, read in Isaiah chapter 40. John the Baptist then baptizes Jesus, the Spirit descends, setting Jesus up, ordained for his ministry. And then in just a passing comment, Jesus' ministry launches, and Mark says, as John the Baptist was put into prison. Well, this story now lets us see a little why John the Baptist was put into prison. John preached repentance. He preached so boldly. He preached so with moral conviction and boldness. 
He also did it with humility, but he did not back away. And he did not back away even when approaching Herod and Herodias. We see that in our story here. I'll come back to it for a minute, but I do want to just comment one thing here. As I thank Pastor Adam for his ministry at Redeemer. You know, my life I've sat under two pastors, my dad and Adam. Um, I'm grateful for their ministry. Uh, you know, my perseverance, my growth is based largely on the means of grace through these men in my life. When I think of Adam's greatest qualities and characters that he has been an example for my life and for Redeemer, I see a lot of overlap with John the Baptist. So I thought a good point here to stop. Uh, I think Redeemer wants to thank you for your courage, your moral conviction, and your boldness for truth. I, I've grown immensely. If it's a strength of mine at all, it comes in large part from your example of a commitment to truth and the boldness, to preaching the word, to not being a respecter of persons, but fearing God. Um, indeed, all flesh it withers, grass withers, the word of the Lord stands forever. And you've built a foundation here, Redeemer, of standing on that word. Um, I think, you know, the Lord... As he sees fit, I think it will be a great fit as I learn more and more at Knox and what they're going to have you do there. I'm sure the Lord will use you greatly. Um, but your personality, your fingerprints, your moral conviction and courage are all over this church in my life and ministry. And so I think it's appropriate for me, appropriate on behalf of Redeemer. You know, we thank the Lord for you, for the foundation you've laid um, of courage, conviction, and conscience. Well, John is that man. I was, this might be a crass joke, I was going to say, and just as John the Baptist died, you're now dead to us as well. But no, I, that might be a little uh, harsh. John is that man. He preached with that sort of moral conviction and boldness. So Herod, we come back to him to set the stage for our, our points here. Herod, as you read the story, is married he has an affair, an adulterous affair, and it just happens to be with his brother's wife. And then he marries his brother's wife. So he's broken the law with adultery. He's broken the law specifically, which speaks to marrying your brother's wife from Leviticus. And so John comes at him and points it out in boldness and moral conviction. You've broken the law. You need to repent. Herod received it, but Herodias was extremely angry you see that Herodias, as she received it, she wanted Herod to put John the Baptist to death. You need to kill him. He talks to us this way. But there's a uniqueness in the way that Herod handles it. Herod puts John the Baptist in prison instead of killing him. You see in verse 18, he does it for the sake of his brother's wife. But as we look at the nature of unbelief and we look at Herod's response to John the Baptist and to the ministry of John the Baptist, I want to look at four things. The first is this. In Herod, we see a soul moved. A soul moved. You could replace soul with conscience. You men there perhaps, but a soul moved. Verse 19, if you look at that. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. Verse 20, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. 
First of all, you see that Herod feared John specifically because of his holiness and his righteousness. Herod was given over to a completely debauched life. He, he was a shallow man after shallow pleasures. He, he tried however he could to heap up fame upon himself. It would eventually be his downfall. And so he, he sees in John his exact antithesis, opposite a humble man, bold in truth and in holiness. And there's something about it that grips his heart. And in the presence of that holiness, there is awe and fear. That's the proper response. We see it with Moses in the burning bush. We see it with Isaiah as he comes before the altar. As the holiness of God is there, as righteousness is seen, awe and fear fill him. And that is, John, that is Herod's response at the message in the ministry of John. He is filled with fear at the holiness, the righteousness of God. I've talked with a couple of people who I know are reading through the book or listening through the book Moby Dick right now. There's a whole chapter in Moby Dick called The Whiteness of the Whale. And Ishmael, the narrator, as he's going through it, talks about the whiteness. And that is the most beautiful and terrifying part of the whale. Because it's, it's, it's splendor, it's majesty, that it's beautiful. It makes other things either more beautiful or it shows them how hideous and ugly it is. And so it's the whiteness of this whale that both enthralls and, and torments Ishmael. And that's true with the holiness of God. It's both its attractiveness and its offensiveness. That it draws us in. It's majestic. It's altogether worthy of worship. And yet it exposes the sin in our own lives. And Herod has such an interesting reaction. It says at the end of verse 20, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed and yet heard him gladly. Perplexed, that is that he was, he was greatly bothered. He, his soul was stirred. He was bothered by it and yet he was attracted to it. He wanted to hear it again and again. It's a soul that is moved, a soul that when the gospel, the righteousness, the holiness of God is presented, is both offended by it and attracted to it. That's exactly what Herod is experiencing. It's a soul moved. I think we have those experiences in our own lives that the beauty, the holiness of God moves us. But as it starts to expose sin, it can also be somewhat terrifying. His conscience is stirred. So a soul moved. Next we see a soul divided. He has a soul that is divided. I'm going to read verses 21 through 26. It said, but an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. <clears throat> and she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oath and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. He is a soul divided here. 
if Herod was indecisive as he, as he must have communed with John on and off as he was in prison and he was both agitated and attracted. He wanted to hear it and yet it made him mad and he sat there in indecision. Instead of hearing John and repenting and believing, he, he sat there in indecision. Herodias, she moved quickly on her opportunity and asked for the head of John the Baptist. And here you see Herod's downfall. It's not just one sin here for Herod. It's a mixture of things. It's his pride. I mean, the guy threw a birthday party for himself, invited a bunch of people over. He's putting on a show. We see from the other Gospels, it's, it's a debauched occasion. There's drunkenness for sure. There's pride, there's drunkenness, there's lust as, as they watch this provocative dance in front of them. He's filled with the fear of man. He gets caught up in this moment of, of you know, trying to look cool for everyone. And he makes this promise. If you remember, it's the same promise that King Ahasuerus makes to Esther that Adam covered a few months ago. That he, he promises, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. It, it's interesting here, though, when uh, Herod makes it... <laughs> There's no way he can fulfill it. I mean, he's a vassal king over just part of his little area. It would be like if you invited five, six families over to your house and you're eating dinner and one of your guests just stands up and says, hey, I'm going to make a toast maybe. And I just want everyone to know, make yourself at home here. I mean, anything you want, it's yours. You go through the cupboards, the fridge, you grab it. You need to rest, grab a bed. Okay, that's a nice hospitable thing to say, but it's your house, not his. He has no right to be offering your home up. That's basically what Herod's doing here is he's making these promises, building himself out, trying to look like something in front of these friends when he can't really even follow through with it. And then you can just picture all the raucous partying comes to a halt for Herod when his wife's daughter asks for the head of John the Baptist. And suddenly that soul is divided, that, that holiness, that righteousness that has been attracted to him, that he, has been enticing to him, that he's, he's enjoyed hearing from John the Baptist, now stands against the fear of man. Now stands against the pride, now stands against lust, now stands against everything he might lose. And he's sorry he made that oath, but now he's stuck in a position. What is he going to do? How many of us, how often we have a divided soul? I think it's true of us that we want to do what is right. There's something the Lord's working on our hearts. We want to do it. But what we have to give up on the other end, we're just not sure if it's worth it. Perhaps the Lord's convicting you, moving you towards being more generous or more hospitable. But at the same time, you think, but, but I'm saving for a vacation. I'm, I'm setting aside this for my security. I'm, and you think, okay, a, a divided soul. Am I going to do what I feel the Lord calling me towards, what he's moving me to? Or am I going to be moved by selfishness? I think for some of us, something like gossip or slander. It's, I, I feel bad, the Lord has, has showed me the sin, revealed it to me in the moment. I, I don't want to gossip, I don't want to slander, I don't even mean it. It just is a way for me to talk. But in the moment, it's just, it's fun to do and it gets me some attention and, and other people pay attention to me and so I end up just going for it. We have a divided soul often. 
I think often it divides over the fear of man or fear of God. I think for you young guys getting ready to be teens or you teenagers, how many kids lose their soul to the fear of man? Make stupid decisions and go down a path because they fear man. They, they fear what their, their position might be with their bonehead friend or their coworker or whoever it is. And you make decisions for a simple momentary affirmation from a friend. Instead of fearing God, his holiness, his righteousness and going after him. We see here with Herod a heart divided. It's been moved. It's divided And we see the path he chooses. Verse 27, immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in prison. A soul moved, a soul divided. Thirdly, a soul convicted. If you come back to verses 14 through 16, how this whole narrative was introduced. King Herod heard of it, that is, heard of Jesus' ministry. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. Another says, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. They're trying to figure out the question that Mark is answering. Who is Jesus? They're denying that he is who he claims to be that he has authority to forgive sin that is that he would be the son of God so they're offering other options and so apparently for Herod he's just learning about Jesus John the Baptist again he's been a bigger deal as that prophet they've been waiting for and now Jesus fame is rising and surpassing John the Baptist and so Herod wants to know what's going on so look at verse 16 out of the options this is what Herod says but when Herod heard of it he said John whom I beheaded has been raised he's got no doubt his soul is tortured by what he did to John That's a guilty conscience right there. That's a convicted soul that as soon as he hears of Jesus, he immediately, it's John the Baptist who I beheaded. And you see God's grace in that convicting conscience. That is a grace and a mercy in your life. When you've chosen that path and you've gone down and you've sinned again and again and again. And you can feel yourself getting sort of calloused over to that sin. And the Lord, in a moment, through whatever means it is, He takes the Spirit and He pricks your conscience. He opens your eyes. When we ask the Lord to grant us faith and repentance, He does that in a moment. And there is that moment there for Herod. He had a divided soul. He went the wrong way. And here's an opportunity, a confessed sin, to repent. A moment of that conviction. John Owen, in his book, uh, Overcoming Sin and Temptation, I think originally Mortification of the Flesh, as he looks at Romans chapter 8, of how we put to, by the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. He says in there that we need to allow the Spirit to speak conviction to our heart, and we need to not step in and speak comfort. That is, we're quick to comfort our own souls when the Spirit speaks conviction, when He exposes sin, and it's there for us to do something about, to confess, to turn from. We have this tendency to speak comfort to ourselves. He says, no, let the Spirit speak conviction, and let the Spirit speak comfort, because the Spirit speaks comfort through repentance and faith. Herod, in this moment, has that opportunity. We have that opportunity in our lives. 
We have those moments when our soul is divided and we're going to, at times, just head down the wrong path. It doesn't need to be the end of it for you. When the Lord convicts, respond in faith and repentance. Don't be so proud to think that that moment's going to last forever because it doesn't. Soul will eventually get calloused over, be hardened for judgment. A soul convicted. Finally, fourth thing with Herod we see is a soul lost. You don't hear any more about Herod in Mark's gospel. That's the end of him. However, if you look at the different gospels, you look at Luke. Listen to Luke chapter 23, verses 6 through 12. It says, when Pilate heard this, talking about Jesus now and his passion, when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. So Pilate has sent Jesus over to Herod. Verse 8 says, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he'd heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. You see what he was initially glad to hear from John the Baptist because the righteousness and the holiness attracted him. Now he just wants to see out of curiosity Jesus do some sign. Verse 9 says, So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. Same old Herod. He had his moment. Look at him now in verse 11. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and they mocked him and they arrayed him in splendid clothing and sent him back to Pilate. Herod still being, trying to show off for his friends, trying to have a good time at the expense of holiness and righteousness in Jesus Christ. And so now his heart's calloused over. There, there is no seeking. There is no soul divided. There's no conviction It's just him mocking Jesus. Verse 12, And Herod and Pilate then became friends with each other that day, for they had been at enmity with each other. He made another friend at least. A soul lost. History tells us about five years after this that Herod, who really had no power, again, just sort of a vassal ruler. Caligula was the Roman emperor at the time, and he approached Caligula to ask if he could be known as king. And it enraged Caligula so much that he exiled from him, and he's not heard again in history. Belief and unbelief, when we are confronted with Jesus Christ, when we are confronted with his holiness and righteousness in our lives, for some, it may be you are being confronted as an unbeliever. And right now you're saying, yes, I find it attractive, but I find it offensive too. It's, I'm, I, I'm moved, but I don't know. <laughs> Repent and believe. The shallowness of Herod, the vapid pleasures, the the short pursuits that he went after, they lasted a moment and they were gone. He's exiled, he's dead. John the Baptist might have lost his head, but at least he did not lose his soul. Right now he is seated with the martyrs around the throne, ruling with Jesus Christ, proclaiming worthy is the lamb who was slain. In total joy, awaiting the resurrection of the body. Herod had 30 years of showing off for friends. If you're 
soul is at stake right here and you feel the Lord moving, respond in faith and repentance. If you're a believer and you're battling sin and you feel that conviction of the Spirit, perhaps sort of that initial tug in different directions, or perhaps you've gone down a path of sin for a long time and you feel that conviction, respond in faith and repentance. That's a grace of God and He is quick to forgive and to restore and to receive. And the people of God will be the same, quick to restore you and receive you. But don't see, be so proud to think that that moment will last forever. Eventually, a soul that keeps turning away from righteousness will be lost. We see that in Herod. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, help us not to be caught up with the shallowness that this world offers, the shallow pursuits and trivial pleasures. Lord, if we can just step back and have a measure of perspective, it's easy to see it when we look at Herod. We all want to be John the Baptist. We, we want to lose our head and gain eternal life with you. Not lose our soul and have 20 minutes of a good time. But help in our own life to gain some perspective, Lord, to the beauty, the glory of pursuing you, of sitting at your feet. Lord, we all struggle with sin. We'll all fall. Most of us will struggle and fall again and again and again. Lord, grant repentance, forgiveness. Help us not to fear man or to be so proud, but confess confess to you, if we need to confess to others, to do that, Lord, to pursue you. Might you persevere the souls of your people, the souls of the people here at Redeemer this morning. Give you just a moment of thoughtfulness and